Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone and welcome to the Proper Class Podcast. I'm Laura Checkley. And I'm Hannah Chizzy. And we are here to celebrate all things working class because we thought if we don't do it, who the bloody hell will? <laughs> Each week we sit down with a working class hero to celebrate their life and achievements and discuss just how they got where they are today. And on that note, who are we celebrating this week, Law? Well, I'm uh, very excited about this person, who is, by the way, one of the kindest, most genuine people I've ever come across. Not only is he one of my best mates and boss, so I do have to be quite nice here, he is by far one of the most talented genies I've ever worked with. He does it all. He's a stand-up comedian, an actor, writer, producer, and a professional wind-up merchant. <laughs> you might know him best for playing D.I. Sleet in the cult hit show Murder in Successful, which he co-created, wrote, and starred in. That show won two BAFTAs, didn't it? It did, yeah, yeah, and he shows off about it all the time. <laughs> But don't blame him. <laughs> he also co-wrote and starred in Action Team. He's been in Paddington 2, a big hit in my house. The Keith Lemon Sketch Show, Judge Romesh, Plebs, The Virtues, and is a regular face on the hit panel show, A League of Their Own. In 2016, he was voted one of BAFTA's breakthrough acts and has since gone from strength to strength and is now even running his own production companies, taking over. But I think <laughs> if he was truly honest with himself, he'd probably say that his greatest achievement today is getting to play opposite me as my <laughs> on-screen hubby in BBC One's sitcom King Gary listeners give it up for the incomparable Tom Davis wow thank How you was that? that was a hell of an intro <laughs> yeah, I was like I, I was up all night writing that I, know, yeah, I, I was like that is I find them so such weird things I don't know whether it's just like well a working class thing that sort of like so such sweet words um yeah and oh. the wind up merch one I was like well that might be the only true thing you've said <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Tom, each week uh, we start by asking our guests if they would mind taking us back to a place that, or, or a time that has a real meaning to them, somewhere that has a, a connection to your working class past. So, uh, if you're able to take us somewhere, where would you take us? And I think it would be um, my grand and granddad's flat in Sutton. It was above a like um, a f- like camera and photo shoot, like a sort of photography shop at the bottom of a high- Sutton High Street. And uh, sort of as a kid, I sort of spent a lot of time with me and my sister. My mum was a nurse, so she worked a lot. My dad mm-hmm. was a mechanic, so they, they both worked. So we spent a lot of time in that flat. And it sort of was, uh, my granddad was a real character. He was sort of quite a local local legend. He sort of, you know, he was a sort of larger in life. Was in he a bit pubs. of a face? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was, <laughs> he'd, um, 
it's a bit of a geezer, I suppose. He was more just a bit of an eccentric. He sort of, he was always in a suit. It was the sort of thing that we've lost a bit now as a working class. Yeah. Class. You know, like your granddad Sunday would always be in a whistle, wouldn't he? Turn up in a yeah. suit. And so my grand was, I had a thing called Huntington's disease. So right. he, he used to look after her. So she was sort of ill, really, the whole of our childhood. Oh. So um, it was it was a really happy, like what I'd say, a working class environment of, you know, fish and chips on a Friday, you know, sort of toy shops and, uh, you know, my mum and dad would leave us there when they'd go out on date night when Pizza Hut first opened. <laughs> I went to school with uh, a girl who, uh, her dad worked in Pizza Hut and my dad used to go into the red line and go, uh, yeah, taking the, taking the missus to Pizza Hut. Tom goes to school with uh, the Maitre D's daughter. <laughs> Maitre D. Um, Maitre D, yeah, Pizza Hut. I used to love, by the way, Pizza Hut buffet. Oh, like, come on. That was the bacon like, bits and oh, the blue the bacon cheese bits. always really stick out for like this is the whole thing like you know and I, I was like working on building sites at that time and if you were coming up to work uptown which was you were doing a lot you know you'd have to just it would literally live off pizza at, uh mcdonald's and then like on a friday or whatever as a treat you got to chinatown let's just take you back to that yeah. so was it a flat house a flat a flat yeah like you'd have to, like the living room a kitchen and it was it hadn't changed since they my grand and granddad my grand was mm. irish um and my grand actually was, was brought up in a place called mayo and uh, Roy Carter de Huma and as a younger girl like sort of early teenager I don't know if you ever heard about this so girls from those sort of places were taken to go fruit picking in England so basically a oh, ship would turn up they'd get taken to England Scotland Wales to do fruit, fruit picking for very little money and then at the end of the season they'd get sent back to Ireland so oh, it was almost wow. like a weird sort of not slavery I wouldn't say but it was a weird sort of so she'd sort of come over and, and done that and then met my granddad and uh yeah, I think she she escaped. Um, and, uh, <laughs> um, but where my grandma's from was a really impoverished part of Ireland. It was all, right. yeah, it was, there was no money there. There was no trade. There's an interesting guy there. Um, uh, they they put an airport there because uh, there was a sort of sighting of lords, and uh, so basically they put this airport. But before that, when my grandma was younger, uh, there was no no trade. It was sort of like just a massive sort of like unemployment was one of the highest rates in Ireland. Um, so yeah, when she came over, it was like a lot of people, sort of like first generation. And so it was a very like my dad was brought up with no money um, mm-hmm. uh, at all. They were really sort of genuinely very very poor. So talk to us about your childhood. Then what was it like? Where did you grow up? You said obviously Sutton. Is that where you? Yeah, Sutton, and then sort of moved out when I was quite young. We moved out. I suppose it was almost like the first bits of gentrification. So <laughs> there's Banstead, and then you go further down the road, and you've got like the Merlin Rise and Tabworth, and it's quite. It's like an estate where they sort of moved people out of Sutton yeah. Croyd and and sort of sent people there. When I was when we first moved to our first house, we had an outside toilet. <gasps> did which, you? Yeah. yeah. So our first house that we mm. lived in had that and. Then my dad built a knackered old extension. He said he's not a builder, but he built a knack, like this extension, and yeah. Then we had an inside toilet, and um, so we yeah. So we grew up, and it was I suppose we didn't have a lot of we didn't have a lot of money, but we it was I had a really really happy childhood. I think that's the thing about, and it was a thing I was really keen with with King Gary. It's a thing I'm really keen of. I think when we portray the working classes on on screen and you know on, on stage and whatever, we have to be really careful. Not to, to not to make it always feel feel like desolate and desperate. Yeah, bleak. Because yeah. actually, it's you know it's a fabric of this country. Is you know I've said this before, like you know with my granddad, one of the proudest things you know he was a warrior. You know he, he sort of he, mm-hmm. he had a medal, medal of valor, and you know he came back and he he always said it's like you know when people used to call him them war heroes, he was like I wasn't a hero. I was a kid mm-hmm. and I was sent away to go and fight. And uh, yeah. I had an amazing childhood. We didn't have much money. 
but I grew up in a really supportive and loving household. Mm-hmm. I was sort of, I was quite a naughty kid, I guess. I was sort of, I had ADHD. I was dyslexic. I wasn't necessarily like academic, but I two amazing parents and I, a really good work ethic was in, pushed mm-hmm. down. And that sort of, you know, that having to sort of watch my parents and how hard they were. My mum, you know, would be out all the time working. You know, as a nurse, she'd sort of do as many shifts as she could and then sort of split with my dad almost like, you know, the parent inside my dad would, you know, ran it sort of, he had a sort of, sort of a, a shed that he ran a mechanics garage out of essentially. Oh, amazing. You know? And, and, but then also grew up, you know, in, in what was a really sort of diverse, like, you know, I got a lot of Irish sort of like that Irish side of my family is very tight, very close. And my dad's best friend growing up had Chinese, all the Chinese takeaways around Cushel and Croydon Sutton, uh, Willie, Willie. So we used to go to like Chinese New Year up in at One Keys. So, yeah, so it was yeah. a really diverse and amazing childhood. Where I spent my childhood in One Keys. I literally <laughs> love it. Just mention One Key. One, my dad one was key. always like, "We'll go One Keys." Oh mate, it's still. <laughs> if you've never been, no, it's, oh, never, I went oh. just before lockdown. It's the business. It's the, it? it's, the, it's, so it's it's amazing. It's, it's like it's really cheap. So you can go Beyond in there. cheap still. Still, and I still... A few I'm, quid for dinner. Number so. one, they don't they don't talk down to you and make you uh, eat with chopsticks. They're quite happy to give <laughs> I can't use chopsticks. I think that's such an interesting point because that thing you're saying about like working class environments, and I think a lot of the way that working class are portrayed as well is that obviously that's where a lot of prejudice lives and that's yeah. where a lot of prejudice comes from. But in my experience the most diverse areas are often the working class areas yeah. because yeah. that's where immigration yeah. tends to settle and my family were an immigrant family in the same way my dad's side and that was very working class mixed you know my dad's family were a Jewish family and next door they had uh, another immigrant family yeah. but they were Muslim family and up the road you know and that was all quite well easy yeah. side by side no I, I you know what and- I, I found one of the most interesting things about sort of diversity and, and sort of in a sense like racism and I think where we are at the moment with um with Black Lives Matter and stuff was that people were unaware of racism in in sort of especially in our industry to to, to be frank I sort of thought mm-hmm. it was like when people were like oh I didn't think there was racism that went on in this country and I was like really That's, like, I, as I a totally kid I went agree, to football yeah. with like a group of lads and and you know, two of, the, two of the guys I went with were black and you'd be you'd know what racism what you see oh, yeah. racism oh, towards yeah. them just going back how was school for you? Awful. Well, no, I loved school. I was awful. I was. Did you see it through? I feel like you didn't. No, no, no. I left early. Yeah. I left with nothing. I left with. I, I was like sort of what I am now. I, I got, I got teachers genuinely quite like me, <laughs> but I was really loud and disruptive, uh, and I sort of tried, but I, I was sort of dyslexic. I, I, you had ADHD yeah, as well, right? But that trouble, obviously trouble. wasn't. You, no, people yeah. didn't know what it was then, and and I so I had no chance of paying attention. Plus, mm. I. Like I should have worn glasses, but I didn't. Um, yeah, yeah. So oh. uh, you know what? I sort of was a bit oblivious to, to what a nightmare I was. Really, I, I, I yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed things like I enjoyed drama. I enjoyed sports. Did you know what you wanted to do? Did you know that you wanted to sort of what? It, it's a weird thing. So I wanted to work on building sites. Yeah, mm. is that because that's all you knew? Because the yeah. family I'd, had or mates were. Well, and... I had no interest in cars, and that's what my dad did. Right. Uh, I saw. My mum was, you know, I didn't want to work as a sort of like nurse or an hospital because I spent a lot of time with my mum. Like she worked at the Children's Trust, which deals with like kids who are sort of quite hev- heavily like um, disabled and, you know. Yeah. So, and like incredible work that she do, my mum. So I sort of never really had any intention of just following that. And and when you're growing up as, I suppose, a, a, you know, a male in that environment, it always mm. felt like 
building sites were a place where you sort of would like have a lot of fun. It was sort of like you'd be able to almost never go up in a Peter Pan sort of way. And, uh, and, and I suppose all that it. banter would have suited you because yeah. you were a joker, you know. Yeah. And also, I think if you wanted to work hard and, and graft, you could earn decent money. I think, you know, you forget that 96 uh, was an incredible time to, to be living in this country under Blair, New Labour. Mm. You know, we were a massively fast-growing country and and to be working on building sites you know london was just built growing building, and growing building, and, yeah. Yeah. you know and uh so so you, you know you had the opportunity to to earn pretty good money and there was another thing like when you talk about working class and i first came into this industry people i think thought that i came with a bit of a cap in my hand and it's all it was always like science sort of some people joke about oh yeah he was a builder and but you know i couldn't believe that i saw him driving this car and it's you you have a fucking home or you know someone who's got a house and you know, if you've ever had work done to your house, you know that builders aren't fucking cheap. No, I mean? like, no. <laughs> never ever go and oh, I'll do you a favour. Like, you know, so there's money in it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you could see like the change. And my dad talks about it, the change of what the working classes were, factorism mm-hmm. and whatever. Not, my, my parents are both very liberal, but people, you know, I think your family was a super similar law from what I know, but people, the ambition of the working classes, oh, it, it went from being, it wasn't like a sort of something to be ashamed of. It's no. sort of like, no, no, we can, you know, we, can, we should have this. We can have this. And there's not a reason. I think that, I think Blair was, that was a really interesting thing with Tony Blair. I think, you know, from, from whatever happened later down the road, there was like a real feeling of actually, no, no, we can, you know, in a more positive way than probably Thatcher was. It was more like, you know, yeah, we, we, we'd do this. So yeah. that was your first job out of school, yeah? Yeah, the building. Now I worked in like a shop for a bit. I worked in retail. I sort of always went back to it. But, you know, then I trained as a chef. I worked at the Connaught. Did you? Yeah. What's the shittest job you've ever had? Uh, cleaning tube trains with, uh, at the end of the night, like in the early hours of the morning with like a jet washer. Like, I say shit, it was disgusting. But yeah, I quite enjoyed the <laughs> jet washer. Oh, I, how did you do that? How did you get into that job? Mate. Just a mate. So, yeah. so I worked on building sites and that was the thing that was always a consistent. But then I always was trying to do something else. I always sort of like, I'd go back to it, mm. but I sort of, whether it's the attention deficit disorder or like it was, I was, I'd get to a point in my life, and maybe actually it was a bit of not depression, but it was a bit of like, you know, this is so, you know, grand old day. Yeah. What can I do? And and that's the thing I think as well. I, I was so, um, I was never, like I say, I was never particularly academic, but I never had a, oh, I can't do this attitude. I was, and still have that. I still believe that you can, anyone can. I still yeah. have a work outside of work. So like yeah, people yeah. always amazed that I teach, that I yeah, go yeah. off and teach. I, I finished King Gary, finished filming, went straight to teaching, actually with you, Hannah. Um, yeah. Because that's it. I'm so constantly, it's just, I've got to keep earning, got to I keep earning. I think that's just a work ethic yeah, thing, yeah. isn't it? Going yeah. back to what you're saying about your family, I just never thought of not working as an option. I never, you know, like, even, particularly in our industry, and this isn't a criticism of people, but you'll get people who are like go, yeah, I've had a few months of, but yeah. and I just, ne- we never, we are, like as soon as we see even the smallest gap a couple of weeks ago right let's do this let's do that let's do I've just always I don't know it's I know, in I, my family it's like you can do what you want but you work you, you have to work and, and oh, people will say about me and mm. James DeFrond who's like my business partner my best friend sure. and, and like you know very, from very similar back where well, we grew up together we've known each other since we were 14 and people say about us being prolific but I, I could never understand why people like so you know when we finished King Gary we, I wasn't like oh, I'm going to have like two months off and go to 
stuck in the Seychelles or Dubai. I was literally in a writing room writing the next project. Because sure. I think like that's the builder mindset. That's the mindset of being like, you know, mates of mine who, who do a like, house, refurb a house or whatever, or sort of go and do like someone's bathroom. They don't go and do the bathroom and then go, oh, well, that's it. I'll have two months off on holiday. No. They're like, right, shit, I've got to book up your time. And it, so it surprises me. And then, so so when when we first did like Morgana show, or when I was first doing stuff, I sort of was still going back and dipping my toe into building. It was still, still even when I was first with my wife, first series of Murder and Successful, I was still doing bits because I had to. I, yeah, you know, yeah, because um, it doesn't, you might yeah. not work for three, four months. And it so doesn't you're pay your bills. I guess there's people in that industry who are fortunate one way or another mm. don't have to do that. Yeah. And, and, and in, any, in any industry, I think, but I think that's the making here. Get a trade, you can always go back to it. Yeah. So I was a scaffold ticket as a scaffolder. So I was like, well, I can always go back to that. And that uh, was my, I guess that was my preset when I sort of started this journey off. I was like, I never had any ideas of grandeur. I, I was actually pretty seriously. <laughs> I'd look back now and I was drinking a lot and I was not in a good mindset space. And I was just, I'd split up with someone I've been with for a long time. And I was like, I need to do something that's, that's different than this. Because otherwise, I'll be 60 or 70 and, and I'll be one of those people sitting in a pub going, what if, what if I've done that? Or what if I've done this? So like really, obviously desperate to talk about how you made that transition once yeah, you decided, but um, just probably do. So you were talking a little bit before about when you started in this industry and like people's perception of working class. And is that when you first became aware of class as a thing? Were you really aware of it growing mm. up or... Did you suddenly go? Oh, I'm working class, and and it occurred to you, or when was the first no, time? No, it was always of... paramount. So we we like where so where we moved to was right. really like um, there's a massive difference between those who had stuff and those who didn't. And right. there was the school like so I went to a school where like, Romesh has called it as the worst school he ever taught at. He wasn't a teacher there when I was there. I wasn't held back that long. <laughs> <laughs> Still there, thirty. <laughs> I'll get out of here one day. Yeah, got detention uh, tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but were, all the schools around it were private schools and their schools. And so, and I think when you grow up in sort of what we're supposed to call suburbia, um, mm-hmm. you know, like where you grow up, where you get, there's yeah. a real distinction between people who have and people who have not. Yeah. As, you know, I think that. So, so, and also when you work as, when you're getting on the tube and, you're in a t-shirt with a hole in it and, and you're covered in dust or dirt and you've been working with your hands and there's always going to be a class thing i remember going into like a designer <laughs> stock shop but you'd be in your work clothes and yeah. you'd be treated I, I, do you know what i still that still happens now yeah i still find if i go into somewhere that's sort of high end i went to to a shop i won't name them but um to buy my wife a, a gift uh, for a birthday and just the way I talked and stuff mm-hmm. and, and, and carried myself, I guess. You you know it's snobbery and you're like, oh wow, that's yeah. And I know, yeah, when when I got into this industry, it was like, wow, it's it was I think it's you know what, I think the tide of change has sort of come a little bit more and there's people there who there, there seems to be I think Mickey Flanagan was just breaking, which was, yeah. I think was a big thing for for, for comedians anyway. Uh, and I think Joe, Joe Brown was amazing to me when I was <laughs> first coming into this industry. I think Joe was like a real, you know, as a as a sort of comedian and as a voice for working classes i think sometimes she gets overlooked as what, mm, a, what important point. person she is within our industry for that and um i remember growing up watching her yeah, yeah. and she blew my mind because i've never as seen a woman, woman like, well. it, like yeah. speak oh like that yeah. yeah but then i i think you know the place i noticed it most was edinburgh edinburgh was a place where i was like wow. we talk about it all the time i was like wow man. you've spent some time yeah. in edinburgh as well haven't i mean you? together yeah. and we were just i, I think we something we really felt like in edinburgh like oh okay 
we're different. And, and, and I you're think, going back 10 years ago now. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, not, yeah. I know you and I talk about it all the time, Tom, but yeah. I think Edinburgh weirdly is a weird thing to say, although I've always been very proud to be working class, Edinburgh's probably the first time I've ever felt actually really poor. I totally like, agree. Like, wow, like everyone would be like, oh yeah, we're all going to go to the, this bar afterwards. And you'd be like, all right, yeah, cool. I have to see how my show does. How many much money goes into the pot? Well, we weren't ever of... invited. <laughs> <laughs> I woke me up. Cool oh, yeah, up. but I'm great around a, I'm great around a night out, Laura. You know that. <laughs> you know, I'm good for it. You're good for it. Um, were you going to ask Han about the transition from no, scaffolding it, yeah. to to comedy? Just tell. I mean, I know how that happened, yeah. but tell Han well, tell how me. it all happened. So that was it. It was just. I think it was. I, I was at a point of. I, I wanted to do something different. I'd, I'd sort of done what I was doing for so long. And then I'd gone to the backyard club and I saw Mickey Flanagan and Ricky Grover and I was like, oh, wow. You know, and I'd sort of like, comedy had felt like a bit of a shut door, I guess, in the sense that there was sort of like, it was probably more sort of middle class, I suppose, a bit more clever at times. I just didn't feel like I was necessarily, I'd any, ever seen anyone. Like yourself. Yeah, and then watching Mickey, I was just like, wow, he's just talking about stories that I know about and a world that I know about. And sort of yeah signed up to sort of just do some gigs and and i um i went to do a comedy course and i did like i was like i'm gonna do that of a weekend i went along and just it was a really bad working because it was a sort of quite a middle class sort of guy who's like you know i, I don't want to come down because i've got a lot of good friends in middle class so it's a bit i don't feel like we should be bashing middle no, class no, people but he was the sort of guy though who was like um very much uh yeah da, 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 da. and he wasn't funny and he was trying to tell people how to be funny and I sort of was questioning. I remember, like as a kid, my mum often says, like, um, when we had a teacher who was a bit sort of like, yeah, sort of thinking outside the box, kind of a bit wacky, and like there's a parents thing, and they all came along, and he he was introducing himself, and he he said, turned around to the whole class, and he was like, um, you know, you could see a lot about a person just from what they're wearing. For example, I wear a lot of silver. What does that say about me? And I put my <laughs> hand up and said that you can't afford gold. And, and I, <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of thing is sort of stay with me of like so this guy was like telling us how to be funny and I was like this he's just fucking not funny and 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 then I went up and just like told a story about throwing it up on a building I like shat myself on a building so I was and and yeah. uh, and everyone in the class is laughing and he comes down and you could see him sort of grimacing and oh, if you did this 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 and I was like well no that was better than when you're, you're meant to be the fucking teacher mate I was I had a chip on my shoulder for a long time by the mm -hmm. way with, with that working class thing and that's mm -hmm. why I sort of say now I've worked with a lot, you know, middle class people and I, some of my best friends. And I think, but when I first came to the industry, I was like, talk down to me. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then it was just work. It was working really hard as a scaffolder, doing sort of six days a week and then finishing early and then going to, you know, wherever to do a gig and just traveling around and gigging and, and doing it as much as I possibly could. Because that's the, that's, I think that's where the difference comes in as a sort of working class comedian and, and, and like where you, you, you say about yourself as, and both of you guys are still having jobs. It's that moment where you go, I'm going to jump off here. And the first time I did it, if I was, I jumped off too early mm. and ended up in a place where, you know, me and my wife now, we lost our flat and we lost, you know, we got sort of diddled by one thing or another and ended up back living at my mum's, and uh, which was a, you know, it's a miracle we're still together. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there was there was no sort of like like safety net. And yeah. uh, when we first made Murder and Successful, that first series, me and James were both bumping the train. So we don't, yeah, we, there was no like nest egg that's waiting for you. So you no. have, and, but then I was so bloody headed, I was like, I'm going to make this work. It's like, it has to work this time. And I think actually another working class thing is the, uh, 
the amount of people who are like, oh, fuck off, mate. You're never going to make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you've got no fucking chance. Like, um, there was there seemed to be a lot of that. There was a lot of people, you'll be back doing this. You'll yeah. be back on a building site in no fucking time. Yeah. And I was sort of really conscious that I didn't want that to happen. Yeah. I was not not because not I didn't want to do it. I was just like, the, I, the, the, the fear of getting up and people go, oh, I'm so brave to get on stage. And I was like, yeah, but the fear of getting up on stage is nothing as bad as having to Walking walk back, back to a load of side, guys right? going, <laughs> you know, you've got a week's work to go down a goat on a fucking Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone got any work going around? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So, Tom, how did your relationship with James first start? Uh, for the listeners, James DeFront is uh, the director and co-writer of King Gary. James was really supportive in the stand-up. He was probably to be... I mean, I'd, I'd sort of go as far, and I don't want to get too emotional, but to say that I don't even want to think where my life would be if it wasn't for James. Mm. Like, generally, I'd, you know, I think, you know, as a person, he's probably the most giving, the most amazing person I know. So, so he was just very supportive with it. James is the only person who I think could see something, and and the only person who was like, you can't, because my first standout was like trying to be like like really cockney, Danny Dyer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. and he was like, you can't be that guy. You got to be you, and you got to be goofy, and you got to be lovable, and you got to be this thing. And and so so our friendship sort of our friendship sort of goes far beyond the world of comedy anyway. And what what we do is, you know, as well, we've both been each other for for a lot of darker sadder times and, and whatever that that's the friendship which is you know the most important thing mm-hmm. but actually as 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 
as working together. He, yeah, he's always seen saying, even when I couldn't see it myself, James would always be like, you know, and, and t- he turned up at every gig I did, like literally. Like, so he'd work, he was working at the time, he was producing shows and directing stuff. And, and but he'd, you know, he'd turn up and, and then weekends we'd go out and we'd shoot stuff together. And the shorthand became really, so really strong like, between us and, and the vision of what we wanted. That's the, that's the thing I think that people, you could want to sound like wanky with this, but we had a vision of what we wanted to do, the kind of comedy we wanted to do, which was Murder and Successful and King mm-hmm. Gary. And there's there's a sort of, that 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 the stuff that inspired us that we, we've subsequently sort of gone on to push. But yeah, it, it sort of was, I think in a pub one night, I'd, I'd sort of said, I'm going to go and I'd been out of other mates and saw it and I was like, I'm going to do it. And he was like, yeah, do it. And let me come along and watch and I'll give you some notes. And the journey was sort of set really. It was a perfect time for him because he sort of, we wanted to direct stuff. So we would go out and we'd write like sketches together, you know, and I'd be on a building site and texting him from an old Nokia, <laughs> like ideas of jokes. And, mm-hmm. and it was really organic to where we've come now. And it's, it's just the thing I'm proudest of. It's amazing. Know? Yeah. It's, mm. it's that, that friendship yeah. is that, that we are the way we are still. And, and we still and that make each other laugh. And you're getting to have that journey together as well. It's yeah. such a lovely thing, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's important. Me and Han always talk about humour being really prevalent in the working class. Um, why do you think that is? I'm obsessed with like that Jewish working class. I think mean, they're like <laughs> incredible. So on top of everything else, we don't know who like um, my granddad's dad is. We have no idea who that is brought up around East London and so that my dad spoke to someone at the pub once and then oh, they're probably Jewish and <laughs> now my dad was like oh right, yeah that no, makes a lot of sense yeah no 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 uh yeah so my dad's sort of like um it's a beautiful thing actually so my dad's basically obsessed with the fact that he might be sort of like quarter Jewish or quarter Irish right and then someone in the pub said to him why don't you just get one of those DNA tests and he went, what if I'm just English? Oh, he just didn't want to be disappointed. It's, like, it's so much That's better so nice. thinking that you could be this, you could be that, you could be anything. What if you're really disappointed and you're just fucking English? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like nice to think. And I'm with him. I'm like, I don't want to know. I, I'd sort of like, I like the idea that you could be, you know, yeah, because yeah. there's stories of like, you know, my granddad was brought up in a workhouse and, oh, yeah, he was a French Canadian soldier or he was a Jewish businessman who had like, <laughs> like, like a load of like whatever shops. And so it's like, you, you kind of don't want to know. Yeah. And, but that's also the humor of it, right? Humor has to be prevalent. It's what yeah. me and you deal with. You know, me and you, our friendship is now, I'd say, one of my, you know, deepest friendships. But me oh, and you always oh, with right. like, um, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but with our, um, but yeah, but what you've just done there, we always, me and you will always make a joke about stuff. If we're ever going to talk about anything deep, I know Laura's got a problem if she comes in and makes a joke and then a bit later will tell me that like, something's happened yeah. in her life. We definitely say that. Like, we yeah. have laughed. We always talk about this one time, right, when Laura was like really, really heartbroken. She was telling me about it. And it's one of our funniest moments because we were in the queue at Morrison's yeah. and she was <laughs> sobbing and we just started to I laugh. I do like a roast chicken in me. Yeah, and a hot roast like, chicken. Like a whole one. A hot roast chicken. And, like, oh, and we were just... Hysterical, we're like, we've got yeah. hot roast chicken in our hands in Morrison's. It's got us through everything, I think. It's, and I know for a fact, like, I walk along and I think, Law find that funny. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. A sign on a shop or a well, turn of often phrase come out of the lowest point. So, like you sure. said, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. often always sure. comes out of the lowest points. Yeah. We just we talk know about that about laughing at your dad's funeral. Do you remember going, yeah. oh, that was a funny day? And of course it was, yeah. it was a tragic day. And I think, and, but I think of all those, I've, I always think of, comedy as, as a weapon of a way of getting through mm. things of a of a as being a 
you know, a survival technique and a, one of the great Most joys of life. Most are, aren't they? It's like but it's my it's grand, survival. I remember survival. my granddad saying like, when he talks about the Second World War and I remember sort of like someone asking him about it and it was like, oh, it was a laugh. And you just think like, well, it must have been because it was like a pretty tough time. But working class, <laughs> like, yeah, it's a bit of a vino with a, with, with a bit of fighting in between. I think yeah, that that was it's that British mentality, right? Yeah. When you haven't got anything, it's the thing. That's why most of us were brought up with the television probably more than other classes mm-hmm. generally. Yeah. Sort of in my house, the TV was was always always it still is. Do you know what I mean? It's bad, really, but. You know, Always on in every yeah. room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in every room. That's yeah. Every, radio pe- in one, TV yeah. in one. It's like, right, we're doing roast beef for dinner and we'll have like the golf on for, uh, it's the TV's constantly on. I think that's the um the thing that I'm proudest of when it comes to King Gary is that thing of, it beca- it's become a show that it seems like the family sit down and watch and, and like with, with Fools and Horses and uh, Dinner Ladies and me and Laura were both, me and Laura, like that's, I think, that's the thing that when I met Laura, I was, you know, not to sort of, Big right to it. No, it no, felt no, like a going, kindred spirit and the basis that she sort of had the same ideals that I I did. Yeah. Like, I'm, I've never worried about being cool or, or the, the hip thing. That's, it was never really what I had to be too concerned about. No, no <laughs> um, choice in it. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it was like with Laura, I found that I was like, oh, I've got that person now who, who seems to have those same ideals. Yeah. It just has to be funny. It doesn't matter if... Like, you know, don't worry. There's always like an underlying thing with everything you do because, you know, Gary or Murder and Successful. Like Murder and Successful, there was always an underlying thing of loneliness. It was sleep was so lonely. That was, a, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, you know, he was so desperate. And that's what made it funny. But with, I think, Laura and me, that's what I lo- love about her so much is it's always like, how's it funny? And yeah, the rest will come. But And, and I think that's, you know, that's the sort of shows that you want to make. And that's It's why. so nice that we get to make our people laugh now. Yeah. That's what I love yeah, about yeah. Oh, no, King Gary. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, Murder and Successful wasn't that. Murder and Successful was kind of like... That's quite indus- a cool show, It was actually. quite yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. within cult. the industry. And I think more people turn to it because of the celebrity angle. But Gary, the thing I love most about Gary is it's like, yeah. Everyone can watch it together. And, yeah, yeah. And, and like kids love and it. Auntie, you know, grandkids, yeah. Yeah. When you see like kids doing like Laura's dance or like the, when Halloween, it was Halloween and... Loads of women had had the eyebrows, eyebrows done and yeah. stuff. Get and, videos yeah. all the time. Only friends. you would become a Halloween style yeah. icon. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Was, yeah, she's a style icon. <laughs> Only on Halloween. <laughs> but... So one of the things we talk about, so you made this point earlier, and this is absolutely none of this intention is to like a middle class bashing in any yeah. way whatsoever but um i think one of the interesting things that me and law talk about loads um particularly i suppose because i'm in the theater which i think has got even more class yeah division in it perhaps than tv but um is that we still carry with us perhaps a bit of an imposter syndrome mm. and do you think you still have that even after yeah. the level of success that you obviously have and massively more more now than ever i, don't, I think that's grown grown and grown it's something I talked to Ramesh about, you know, not to plug it, we have a podcast, but... Um, there are part of the podcasts yeah, available. Yeah. But that, that's, <laughs> no, that's, not another one. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's one of our, our things that we discuss. And, and yeah, massively, massively I have it. Like, I, th- I think I always will. I, I sort of, I, I, I almost like, I think it drives me. I think you've ever get too used to sort of like thinking you've made it or thinking that that's the moment. I think then then the work would suffer, and I think you'd yeah. suffer, and you'd you know you'd, I just don't think you care enough, and yeah. I think that that imposter syndrome of going like at some points I still think at some point we're just going to walk through the door and go sure. all right mate all right, you've had your fun yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, back to the building site 
And yeah. uh, I always feel like you're going to fire me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About that. Oh. <laughs> now seems like yeah. it's on air. <laughs> yeah, Terry dies in serious. But you, know, <laughs> but you know, you talk about it's not even in the industry, is it? It's like walking into a posh shop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I. So you know, I, I I have it now. Like even in somewhere like All Saints, I'll still walk in, in and go, oh, you know, like she's looking at me like I can't afford anywhere. Well, I can't fit into them anyway. <laughs> no, um, but that. yeah, I have that going into like posh jewelry shops or I yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, any designer shops. Yeah. See, when I was younger, I'd like put on a posher accent. No, I never did that. Did you never? I, I'll I go did. more working I class. I did the opposite. Yeah, yeah I think I did yeah. the opposite. But now actually. I do that now. Yeah, yeah, I've if I see something, I think, oh, all right, I'll give it to you. I really. Yeah. <laughs> I I love doing it. I had the worst one just where you said about clothes not fitting. I remember like uh, when when like you got nominated for the Bath the Breakthrough thing, they'd go like, oh, you know, because it's sponsored by Burberry, come along to Burberry and they'll, they'll look after you. And I went along and there was nothing that fit. And I bless oh, the girls no. actually, to their credit, they were so lovely. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, try this shirt, try that jacket, try this jumper. <laughs> and I looked like Onslow from the King uh, <laughs> appearances and everything. And you could almost oh, see mate. the manager going, like, well, shares are going to drop. We've just got over the fact that football hooligans were wearing this. Oh, like, no. And in the end, they just went, well, you can have a scarf. And it's like everyone else is walking up with three-piece suits and Max. And I had a fucking scarf. And that was, yeah, so lovely. But that's a whole other podcast talking about body issues. And in a similar sort of vein, do you think there are things that like people make assumptions about you? Oh yeah, because yeah. of well, my whole stand-up was about that. About it's right. really easy to make assumptions about you know a big guy from where I come from and exactly. how I sound. And particularly, you like football yeah. or that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think that I think I've always been like, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I sound. My granddad used to say, "You're from South London. You've got a God-given right of bullshit." That's the that's the nature <laughs> of. Yeah, and I'm I'm proud of that. Mm. I'm proud of where I come. I'm proud as as well of, I think like the upbringing I had of like my, you know like I say my mum is a very well read person. She's incredible as a uh, you know as a human being. I, you'd have to go a long way to sort of you know give me such a balanced look at the world. You know, she was very like as a person. She's very liberal. She's very sort of very left to centre, but was always really like pushing me and, and challenging and, and like I, I couldn't read for a long time but sort of would take that time so I was mm. well read enough so you know I'd sit and you know sort of read the classics with her and, and mm-hmm. so I was always like pushed but my dad my dad is adamantly you know he's working class and 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 so so proud of you know even my dad's not a geezer my dad's just very and I think that's the thing that's the other thing you're always a bit of worries a bit of worries mm. you know he's not he's just a very proud working class man I'll bet you're your mum and like you know, mm. yeah, you know, they're they're proud people. It's the other thing. The, the other thing the, when we did Gary, I was like, oh, how are you going to get around the fact they swear? I'm like, my dad hasn't sworn since me and my sister were born. No. In front of in the house, he'd never my swear. Hardly people ever said swears. that to me. Um, I find it ever quite offensive. Swears. Actually, said, I'm not swearing. I swear like a trooper. Yeah, but I do. Somebody yeah, yeah. said to me the other day, like um, my son's five, and somebody said, oh, what was his first swear word? And I was like, yeah, nothing. Yes, yeah. and they were like, oh my god, like you don't. He's never, I said, he, honestly, he has never heard me yeah. swear. That's how I grew up. My mum and dad now, I'd swear with my mum and dad now yeah. and not think anything of yeah. it. But I never heard my parents swear. And Isaac has never heard me swear. And people, that's a big assumption. They go, really? I'm yeah. like, yes, really? Yeah. Like, you, your mum, I've my never mom, heard no, your mum my swear. Doesn't, no. Never. No, no. My, my stepdad does a bit, but no. My no, dad would not swear. Not around if, the kids, though. Or no, not like, around no. the kids, absolutely. Once not, I saw no, him no. outside the house. Yeah. Being a pub with him down at his garage, he'd swear, but like, yeah. But then I have to. The, so my thing was, when I first got into this industry and I first had that carried that chip on my shoulder, I had an assumption about upper class and middle classes. And sure. then actually, I worked with a guy called Will Smith, who's a brilliant writer, 
and and commit a brilliant stand up. And and when I first met him, I was like, oh, he's quite posh. But actually, wow, he's got the same sensibilities, the same humour. He was just and straight away, I was like, yeah. As you grow and as you meet more people, you so you know, fucking hell, my agent Humphrey is is, as middle class you get, but he's one of my (laughs) favourite people in the world. And I was like. Oh, I've been carrying this. And I guess it's like yeah. any sort of yeah. stigma. Or, a lot of it lies you know, with us, doesn't it? Yeah, because, but, we, but, but that's why, again, you're like, I probably, through through working a building site or whatever, like, I carried that chip because I've been talked down to. If, you know, if you go to someone's house and you're there for a day and the first thing they say is like, you are not coming in the house to use the toilet. <laughs> 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 it's like, like, there's a McDonald's three miles away, you can go there. Like, yeah, you're like, all oh, right, thanks. Uh, um, and, and then you just, your brain would lace that side of things. But um, yeah, so so I think it's that thing of like the preconceptions of, yeah, we're all culpable of having that. Of course. I think, you know, and you know, they, all those guys came, <laughs> came to my wedding. Uh, like Jack White was one of my really close friends, you know, and he was my wedding. He did say to me, "This feels like a place you'd come to if you wanted to get rid of a body." But, <laughs> uh, uh, but he's, you know, he's one of my dearest friends, and like, you know, we. I've you got know. loads of posh mates. Yeah, and I was like, loads, and especially but, but, work, you work in theatre, like yeah, loads. loads. And there but, is actually really, it's uh, there's no difference, no, really. But I think there's a pride and there's a thing that is that's what I think that's the thing of like being proud to be working class but mm-hmm. you know that 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 pride in it because i don't think you have to be because there's so much other stuff that comes with being middle class or upper class that's so much better than being proud <laughs> like with working <laughs> class there's no other trappings to it apart from having a pride in the fact that you, you get up and you do what you gotta do yeah and that, that's how the, that's how the wheels of this country have turned up until now <laughs> but, um, uh, and i think that's that's the important thing So I read this article a little while ago about working class people saying what they thought as kids was posh. Yeah. And mine was definitely, I thought you'd made it if you got a soda stream. <laughs> That's like my mate Harriet had a soda stream. and was like Harriet the, posh? She, yeah, she was like um, probably, yeah, more mid. I mean, she wasn't posh posh. Looking back on it, not really, but no. I thought she was quite posh. She had a soda stream and the man used to deliver. Like the soda stream. Really? Yeah, yeah. You could get like a soda stream man would come and bring bottles of the, wow, I don't know, syrup, I suppose, or something. So I was just wondering, like, when you were a kid, what did you think? Oh, that's posh. Or what did you, like, I suppose like a soda stream be... would have been, it's a weird one, isn't it? I suppose, I think as a young boy, I suppose trainers were like, a th- I yeah. think even now I look at it and think I've probably got like a problem with it now. Yeah, me like, and you, we both yeah. love a trainer, don't yeah, yeah, we? But I remember never being able to have that. I remember my dad drawing Nike on a shit he got a pair of white no, trainers my brother from, did that he got yeah. some nicks yeah. and he scrubbed out yeah. the C and put an E on the end my, so my dad went to the market and got just white trainers and drew the night tick beautifully really like you know like calligraphy shit on these trainers and like I got absolutely ripped to shreds oh, and I was God. taking a girl to I was taking a girl to cinema and uh, I, I took her to see do you remember the film Alive uh, it was not very romantic it didn't go anywhere um, I don't remember that it's like a film about it. I just Okay, was it was like a ski team or something, not a ski team, like an Olympic team that got fucking climbing. Yeah, it was like, and like a, a plane, there was a plane crash on a mountain. <laughs> like each other, yeah. Oh, yeah, don't they eat each other? Yeah, yes, yeah, I do yeah, remember yeah, that. Yeah. Second day. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting there and with a pair of trainers on. Nath Nath jacket and a pair of yeah, like fake Nike trainers. Yeah, so oh, I think it was God. people who had like really good trainers. And I became obsessed, like even now. I, I, I have an obsession with like my wife is like you don't need this many clothes and I think because you can in a way yeah like... also that is a massive working class thing of like you might have like 50p in your bank 
but you'd be going out like looking at absolute bollocks. It's yeah. better to go in somewhere and not have money for a drink because you spent it on like, a cl- good clobber yeah. than actually sort of like, you know, and that's, it's, that's something slowly now that I'm trying to get out of my, my psyche. Yeah. of being like, oh, you know, because in the end, no one cares. And actually, I'm now yeah. I'm in a place where actually I wish I'd invested more. I wish I bought a house earlier in life. I wish, wish I'd done this or done yeah, that. Yeah. Like building sites were terrible for, there's a joke we used in uh, Gary, but for fashion, like, mm-hmm. like you'd only ever see each other like dressed up once a year and that was at Christmas, right? And you'd all, so Christmas do, people would start saving in about yeah. May for what, what they were wearing, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you'd get, and I remember wearing a YSL jumper and really being proud of fucking, oh, I look the bollocks in this sort of thing. I look really good. Like, you know, they were a pair of Patrick Cox, little bit of Levi's, <laughs> bowling into town. And uh, and basically this geezer come up and he went, um, well, uh, you know what YSL stands for, don't you? And I was like, yeah, he's saying I'm off. And he went, uh, you sad loser. And then the <laughs> whole place that. just started going, you sad loser. You sad oh, loser. No. And I, it was like baby blue. And I just sort of spent the whole like, oh, night just for like, God. you know, so, listen, we're coming to the end of our celebration of you. But um, before we finish up, uh, we'd just like to ask you who you would like to celebrate today. So, so my mum and dad, I think, like, there's two people sort of, I'm pretty proud of who, who I've become. But I'm sort of proud of them. Like most sort of thing that I sort of go back, when I was 16, my dad had a sort of accident, a car accident. And my mum had to take over the business, had to take over the house, take over everything. And I think in a really weird way, like that's the first time I've ever seen my dad able to be quite weak and looked after and my mum being like incredibly strong. But also it was a time where I looked at two people that were there for each other no matter mm. what. It was like, it was a really beautiful thing to see them coming together. And I remember my dad saying a thing where, you know, that he was like, they were like trying to say about having reconstructive surgery on his face and, you know, da-da-da and plastic surgery. And he's like, I don't need that. I've got, I don't need to be attractive. I've, you know, I'm married. I've got my wife who... He's gonna love me no matter what, and I think there that ethos, that 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 love that they have between them, but also that they shared with me and my sister, I think that's the thing. And and, and like I look at, you know, we like to say we didn't have a lot of money growing up, and we didn't have you know all the fancy things, but we it was a place of love, and it was, I think that's hopefully something that I think has made me the, not not performer or right whatever. It's made me the man I am. I think today, I think that's the most important thing. Amazing. That's so lovely. And um, sorry, what's your mum and dad's name? Uh, Celia and John. So we're going to be celebrating Celia and John today. Oh, that's nice. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. It's been amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Bill. Well, that was absolutely amazing. I mean, I have to be honest, I feel like, you know, Tom's a such a huge part of your life and that's the first time that I've got to meet him. So I feel like that was a a tick, a big tick for me. What a great, warm, amazing guy. Everything you've said about him is so true. That was such a brilliant way to spend a morning. Oh, and just for the listeners, that was recorded quite some time ago. Um we were going back into lockdown oh, yeah, in the October we and we were just about to film the Christmas special of King Gary. But yeah, I'm so glad you both finally got to me and just so like-minded. But um, yeah, he's um, he's an incredible man, special man and, and friend. Um, you can, of course, catch Tom Davis on BBC iPlayer where you can get all of the episodes of King Gary series one and two and the Christmas special. Um, and you can also catch his incredibly funny podcast that is out now on all the places you get your podcasts and that is the War For Now podcast that he does with Ramesh Ranganathan. 
So that's it. You can catch us again in a couple of weeks, guys, with a brand new guest. And remember, keep it classy. Oh, God. (laughs) The Popper Class podcast is produced by Michelle Farscott for Ranga B Productions, edited by Michelle Farscott and James Torrance, recorded at the Umbrella Rooms with music by Tommy Music. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you want to find out more about Hannah and Laura and why they wanted to do the Proper Class podcast, check out the bonus episode available now.